He is due back from the suspension on the Monday wraparound game against the Atlanta Braves. So here's the way the rotation lies out. And I think the Mets are making this a little bit more complicated because they really want Kodai Senga to get these extra days because by giving Senga an extra day, it means the Mets are going to have to find a starting pitcher for Tuesday's game against Washington. And it also means Kodai Senga will not face the Atlanta Braves. So the way it's going to line up is that Tuesday night against the Nationals, the Mets have to find somebody to start. Jose Budo, I guess, could be recalled if someone goes on the injured list. They could just do a bullpen kind of game and just throw the whole bullpen out against Washington. Then it's going to be Kodai Senga, Joey Lucchese, David Peterson, Tyler McGill. So it would line up for the Atlanta series to have David Peterson pitch on Friday night against the Braves. Uh, against Max Fried, by the way, Tyler McGill to pitch Saturday against the Braves against Spencer Strider. And then I guess on Sunday, I don't know who the hell they would have Sunday. I'm trying to, I'm trying to not lose count on this thing. Cause if saying is pitching Wednesday, that would line him up to pitch Monday, but that's the day Scherzer comes back. So that means saying not pitching Monday. It means saying would pitch Tuesday in Detroit against the Tigers. So I guess the guy who pitches Saturday, would be the person who pitched no the, the person who pitched Sunday would be the guy who pitched Tuesday, whoever the hell that is. <laughs> and maybe it's Justin Verlander because I, I don't think Verlander should necessarily have to make a rehab start, even if you're trying to stretch him out. Because think about what your options are at the major league level. Your options at the major league level would be a bullpen day. Well, if it's a bullpen day, why not just have Verlander throw three or four innings? That makes the most sense. So the way it's lining up right now would be Senga Wednesday against the Nationals, Lucchese Thursday against the Nationals, Peterson on Friday, McGill on Saturday, and then somebody on Sunday, Scherzer on Monday. And if not Scherzer, because you don't think he's ready, then Senga would make the start on the Monday game against the Atlanta Braves. Speaking of starting pitching, Madison Bumgarner was DFA'd by the Arizona Diamondbacks. His numbers are awful. Um, and I went deeper than that, by the way, Pete. His velocity is way down. His spin rates are way down. He looks done. Like, when you look closer, you go to Baseball Savant and check out what's up with Madison Bumgarner, there really isn't any redeeming quality. So I think what we may do is naturally say, but it's Madison Bumgarner. You know, he's one of the great clutch pitchers of all time. I'll take a flyer on him. And I think when you're this down at starting pitching, it I, I totally get like the whole Matt Harvey thing is another popular name. Yeah, bring Matt Harvey in. Yeah, bring Madison Bumgarner in. I think the reality is neither guy would be good. Now with Bumgarner, I'm not going to use Harvey as much. He hasn't been in the major leagues in a while. But you look at Madison Bumgarner in the four starts he made this season, and he walked 15 guys in 16 and two-thirds innings. 15 guys. He gave up four home runs in 16 and two-thirds innings. Last year, he went out and made 30 starts. I'll give him that. But his strikeouts per nine were as low as they've ever been in his entire career. His whip was very, very high. His home runs were tons. Like, he just wasn't good. And the problem with Bumgarner is since 2020, he hasn't been good. So, 
am I in favor of bringing him in? I, no. If they did, I can't complain only because ah, it's probably for minimum salary. But is that guy whose velocity is now topping out at 89 miles an hour? You're not getting guys out. So when you cut her at 88 miles an hour, you're just not. Can that guy really give you a better option in the rotation than even a Jose Budo? I don't think it is. We, we sometimes get so attracted to name value that we say, of course, it's a better option. Not based on any number you look at, it's not a better option. So kick the tires, but I'm just telling you, I, my own research tells me he's cooked and the Mets should stay away. All right, so this is the reason why they should look at the Madison Bumgarner, and it's not to be a starting pitcher, which sucks because the depth we need clearly. There's no more depth in the rotation. But but the bullpen just needs as much help. I mean, hell, they brought back Tommy Hunter again, too. Like, they sent John Curtis down. They bring up Tommy Hunter again. I understand the whole option thing, but I think Curtis earned his spot in the bullpen here. I think he's pitched pretty pretty well. But Madison Bumgarner, if you could figure out a way to get him a long relief guy, one, maybe two innings, maybe I don't think he'd do it. I don't think he'd do it. Like, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with your point of, ah, just another arm in the bullpen. Throw him out there. Despite how bad he looks, I would think there's going to be a team that says, hey, you're going to be a starter for us. I think there would at least be one team. I don't know if Bumgarner at this point in his career is really just going to take a bullpen role. It may come to that. I mean, he's been awful. I don't know of how realistic that is, but we'll see. I mean, he's going to obviously not be picked up by anybody. Nobody's going to trade for that contract. It's going to be paid off by the Arizona Diamondbacks. He will then become a free agent. And at that point, he'll get to make a decision on where he wants to go. But I was surprised about that. As bad as he is, I guess I didn't expect the Diamondbacks to basically write a $25 million check for Bumgarner to go away. That is an all-time bad one. That's a bad one, man. And good good for the Giants. The Giants got everything out of Madison Bumgarner, and they decided not to pay him, which I remember at the time saying, boy, that's tough. That's one of your icons. That's one of your, your franchise guys. And he was only 29 years old. But they turned out to be making one of the great decisions you could ever make. It's cold-hearted, but it turned out to be right. His numbers with Arizona in the four years he was there, he made 69 starts, nice, 15 and 32 with a 5.23 ERA. Wow. Wow, that's bad. Did he – but he recovered from that accident. Was that was that part of his down, downfall? Was the accident that he had in the ATV, was that part of it? It may have been. It may have also just been the innings. I mean, when he was 21 years old with the Giants – he would throw 200 innings every every single year. And then you factor in those postseason runs. It could just simply be the toll of innings that he threw. And he's going to have a weird legacy because I remember about 2017, 2018, I had this discussion with Joe on the air with the idea of him being a Hall of Famer, that he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. And you look at his numbers between 2011 and 2018, he was never dominant, but his postseasons were so amazing that that almost brought him up a level. But you look at his numbers in totality now, they're not that good. <laughs> he's not, he's just not a Hall of Fame pitcher. What he is, is one of the great postseason pitchers of all time. That is true. And two things can be true at the same time. You can be one of the great postseason pitchers of all time, and you can be not a Hall of Famer. 
Uh, let's get to Ronnie Mauricio. So finally, Met fans, and we have talked about this a lot. We've questioned it a lot as far back as spring training. What are we doing with Ronnie Mauricio only playing shortstop? That has changed. Billy Epler's confirmed it. Bucks confirmed it. He played second base the other night. He's going to even play a little bit of the outfield. And in Steve Gelbs' report during the Met game, they've envisioned him as a super utility guy. Go out and learn every single position. His bat will eventually get into the lineup, and he'll get in the lineup playing everywhere. That is great news. I don't want to be negative by saying, why now? It should have been last year. Better late than ever would be the way I look at it. Uh, so, yeah, as much as I would have liked for this to be going on in spring training, I think it's clear what's happened. Ronnie Mauricio is so destroying AAA right now, and that is picking up where he left off in the winter league and picking up where he left off in spring training. So now you're talking about a bigger sample size. You're talking about winter ball. You're talking about spring training. And now you're talking about these 19 games at Syracuse. You start to add that up, and you've got, you know, 80, 90 games. He is tearing it up at such a high level right now. The Mets realized, holy crap, he's on the doorstep. He's ready bat-wise. Because remember, the BS they gave us about Beatty was not about his bat, was about his defense. So they put a premium on defense, which I, to a degree, understand. The Mets have a hell of a defensive team right now. You can't have a guy in the minor leagues thinking about defense when the position he plays is the same position as a guy who's not giving up the position. So I don't know how long it's going to take before the Mets have confidence in Mauricio at second base, at third base, in the outfield. I think short-term, Pete, I'm not talking long-term. I'm talking about short-term. His role with this team would probably be as the designated hitter and backup shortstop. I don't think this season necessarily he'd be viewed as a guy who's playing the outfield. He'd be the DH. And by playing the DH position, that's the bat that they add. So I think it's great that he's going to learn these other positions, but I'm not sure if that's his role this season. I think that may be his role next year and the year after that, but I still kind of view him as a DH option. Again, they 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 comped him to Jordan Alvarez, and then I I just got like all silly inside. Like that that to <laughs> me is a beautiful thing, um, because we see how good Alvarez is in, in Houston. Yeah, I, I think that though, if that's the if that's the case, we're talking about you're talking about how to create room for Mauricio now. It's the DHs works, but that means who's going to be out, and that looks like if Vogelback Vogelback can't get things going. He may be the odd man out eventually. Well, by the way, you know, you guys love to kill Daniel Vogelback. Yes. Vogelback. Hit more home runs. <laughs> I know. I know. We need we need home runs from Vogel. I get it. He is starting to hit, though, a little bit. He is. He's starting to hit a little bit. In game two of this series, he had two base hits, including an RBI single. That was the ninth inning, and the game was pretty much out of reach. Yeah, look, Vogelback, if Mauricio's up here, it probably means Daniel Vogelback is either a left-handed bat off the bench or he's traded somewhere else. Like, I acknowledge that. I, I wonder with this team, when do you say about a guy at AAA, like they finally did with Beatty, because Beatty didn't come up here because of an injury, which we thought maybe would be the case. They brought him up because they said, holy crap, we have to bring him up. When does that holy crap moment happen for Ronnie Mauricio? Right now, last check, 
He's hitting 358 with a 1,172 OPS, six home runs, 14 RBIs. What point? And it's only 19 games. I acknowledge that. Maybe it's halfway through the season. Because what they did with Beatty is ideally what they would do with Mauricio Pete. They don't call him up because of a need. They call him up because he's ready. And that's what I feel good about with Beatty. They called it up. I know Escobar wasn't hitting, but in terms of the way the Mets were playing, it wasn't like, oh my God, we got to go make a move. It was, the guy has to be here. The guy's earned it here. So Vientos too, by the way, because Vientos is tearing it up as well. Like at what point do you say, all right, F it. These guys, these guys have to be at the major league level. So but the one issue that we had last year was actually the perfect time for a lot of these guys to get the call. Obviously, it's a year removed now where we're, they're, they're much better than they were last year, which is great. They're showing it. They, they all crushed it in AAA. The Braves are still really good. So it's not like the Mets have this huge lead. They don't have a huge lead in the division. They don't have any lead. So they need to get – if they can get to a comfortable 10-game lead in the in the NL East, that's where you say bring in bring in Mauricio. Listen, the Mets are playing great. They're not going to have a ten game lead in the National League East. That's not going to happen. I mean, the Atlanta Braves are a good team. I think we went through this all last year. Like the only difference between last year and this year is that the Braves aren't spotting the Mets a lead. Like they're not spotting them a lead so that our buddy Sal could say the division is over. Like. The Braves are off to a really good start. They're 14 and six. The Mets are 14 and seven. That's why the Mets are a half game out. I don't think they're ever going to have a lead. And I don't think you should make decisions based on that. I think you should make decisions based on when someone's ready. And that's going to be the curious factor. At what point would they feel defensively in terms of the versatility and the positions he's learning? Because I think Ronnie Mauricio's main role here would be at DH. But I think you want him to know positions so that you can use him sparingly at these positions because the versatility of McNeil, the versatility even of Escobar and Guillaume allows you to do creative things to get these bats in the lineup. Right now we're seeing it with McNeil and we talked about this in spring training. If it was ever going to be an injury in the outfield and there is one right now at Starling Marte, hopefully not too serious with this neck. The easy answer is not Tommy Pham. The easy answer is Jeff McNeil. Because Jeff McNeil plays a good outfield. And that opens up an opportunity for Luis Guillaume or for Eduardo Escobar, who we still haven't seen play second base, even though he can play second base. Like, I, I don't know if I don't know if Buck's just saying to himself, look, the defense is so much better with Luis Guillaume. We're not getting that much out of Escobar anyway. So screw it. We're just going to play Guillaume at second base in these situations. Do you? All right. July 1st. That's a that's a far point. That's, that's that's far enough away. Do we have all four prospects up in the bigs? No, no, no. I'm going to say no to that one. Though, I, can't, I mean, if guys are hitting 380, maybe. <laughs> if Mauricio we'll has 20 home runs in July by July 1st, he's not getting called up. There comes a point where Billy Epler says, "Screw it, call him up." But how great is this? The Mets right now are 14 and seven. The New York Mets on a West coast trip in which I said, give me five and five. I'll be happy. They are sitting here right now. Seven and one, seven and one on a West coast trip. And don't waste our time with the Dodgers aren't good. 
The A's aren't good. The Giants, everybody sucks. Who cares? Like, that doesn't ma- That never matters. Every win counts the same. So, yeah, I know the Oakland A's suck. No one's debating that. I know the Dodgers are at a down point. They'll make the playoffs anyway, by the way. And they'll probably, I don't say they'll win the division, but they'll win 90 plus games. But yeah, they're not playing great baseball. The Giants aren't playing great baseball. No one's fighting that fight. No one's going to deny the status of those three teams. My response will simply be, who cares? You play who's on your schedule and you beat them. And the Mets, despite all these injuries in the rotation, despite all of that, are going out and winning every freaking day. And that's awesome. Just keep piling it up. So it's 7-1. and one. If you could split the final two games against the Giants, that's an 8-2 and two road trip. I mean, my God, an 8-2 and two West Coast trip coming home to take on the Washington Nationals? Holy mackerel. Remember last year we were arguing, we were saying we had the best, uh, the best split in a, on a road trip ever. What was it? We went five and five or six, yes. six or whatever it was, and we were yes. bragging about that. If we can go eight and two, I mean, come on, yeah, that's, that's a trip. trip. Hey, Let's go. They've already secured a great road trip because not that I'm good with losing the last two games, but seven and three is a great West Coast trip. I mean, if, if I would have said that five days ago, it would have been like, yeah, well, of course. So we'll see. <laughs> David Peterson, Tyler McGill in the final two games of this series. We know Logan Webb's going to start for the Giants. He's off to a tough start on Saturday. And then the Giants are going to decide somebody on Sunday. It'll probably be a lefty, though, because that's who the Mets face. They seem to always face lefties. <laughs> but it's a fun time right now to be a Mets fan, so enjoy it. You can email the pod, the Rico B at gmail.com. We'll be back with another Rico after this series ends. Remember, they play Sunday night, so it'll be a very late-night podcast after they wrap up this series against the San Francisco Giants. Let's go, Mets. Have a good weekend. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.